This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This podcast is dedicated to all those out there who have osteoarthritis. On the show, we unpack the truth and demystify the myths about the disease and its management. If you have joint pain and want to know more about how to manage it from the world's best experts, you've come to the right place. Without further ado, it is time to welcome your host, David Hunter. Hello and welcome to this edition of Joint Action. This week, we have the privilege of discussing, should I take a supplement for osteoarthritis? Now, approximately 70% of people living with osteoarthritis are reported to be trying some form of complementary or alternative medicine for their osteoarthritis. The most common products are fish oil, glucosamine, vitamin D, chondroitin, and herbal medicines. It's a very controversial area with important differences between what is recommended by physicians, international guidelines, industry and marketing, and then ultimately what people actually take for their osteoarthritis. It is really important that people with osteoarthritis be as informed as possible about a range of issues pertaining to supplements, including their efficacy, safety, cost, accessibility, amongst a range of other issues. Suggesting this information, identifying whether the source is trustworthy and implementing the knowledge gained in a way that is beneficial is complicated. And that's the focus of this episode of Joint Action. To provide two different perspectives, we're joined by a scientific director of a supplement company, as well as someone with osteoarthritis to give a sense of the complexity and the decisions undertaken. And in that context, we're joined by Jeff Strong and Hugh Moyle. And Jeff Strong is a doctor, is a naturopathic physician, trained in primary care medicine, with special interests in complementary and alternative medicine, sports nutrition, diabetes, and cardiovascular health. Jeff is currently serving as a scientific director in the Asia 
region and Japan country manager for Horfag Research, and he's fluent in Japanese. And today we're also joined by Hugh and Moyle, and Hugh and I have worked together, but he's also someone who has osteoarthritis in his knee, and he's going to be providing that perspective for us today. So, Hugh and Jeff, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thanks for having you both along. Now, before we get into the main content of the show, Jeff and Hugh, any important conflicts or disclosures that you think are relevant to the topic of today? For me, as you touched on, I am scientific director for Horfag Research, which is the producer of uh, the pine bark extract known as Picnot. Fantastic. All right. Now, we might get you both to do these questions, and Hugh will take you first. But if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? A father, a husband, and um, uh, love, love, enjoying life. Are these the right sort of words you want me to go for? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Um, and professionally, just tell us a little bit about what you do. So I work in, uh, in IT, uh, very much a desk-bound job. Um, it's about data analytics, uh, working with computer systems and databases. That's, uh, that's when I'm not enjoying my other parts in my life. And what are those other points of your life that you're uh, referring to what do you, when you're not being the professional IT you? Yeah, so I, I, look, I love, uh, I love to play tennis. As you know, you're my, you're, you're, you're my uh, doctor there. So uh, I'm trying to get back on there. Uh, I like to keep fit and uh, also actively involved with my kids and their sports and working. Generally, family life's amazing, you know, particularly with COVID, we've had a unique opportunity and uh, I've, I've, it, it's, been, uh, it's been terrific. And I'm a massive technology geek. Good, like that's good, good to have people like that around. Yeah. Um, and Jeff, if you had to describe yourself in five words, what would they be? I would say a family educator was by training and profession naturopath, and then adaptive and gaijin. What's the last word mean? Gaijin means foreigner in Japanese. Having <laughs> been an expat here for 16 years now, it's a daily part of my life. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. And professionally, what is it that you do? Professionally, um, I originally was trained to be a naturopathic physician and work one-on-one -on -one with patients. And we moved here to Japan in 2004 to have our daughter. And originally at the time, we were only intended to be here for a year or so. And that here I am 16 years later. So <laughs> in Japan, my uh, medical degree is, or my license is not recognized. So I found uh, employment with a Swiss nutraceutical company. And for the last 16 years, I've been their scientific director for the Asia region. And so basically what I do on a day in, day out basis is that I'm helping to educate and guide uh, supplement companies about uh, evidence-based uh, ingredients and helping them to design health food products uh, all over the Asia region, predominantly in Japan though these days. And at the same time, in a normal year, I would be doing a lot of public speaking, whether it's for uh, consumer groups or to at uh, trainings for companies or for international medical symposiums. Thank you. Um, and when you're not uh, working in your professional day job, what is it that you enjoy doing? 
Yeah, almost every day exercise of some kind, uh, whether it's hitting the gym or getting outside. Uh, I like to play sports with my kids, basketball or volleyball. Um, lately, we've been going hiking a lot. Uh, otherwise, reading, watching movies, helping the kids with the homework, that kind of thing. During COVID, my neighbors and I, we built a pizza oven in the yard. So we've been doing a lot of pizza parties. So that's been fun. Uh, yeah, that's basically what I do then. Well, fantastic. Does a lot of get a pizza get eaten um, where you are? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Massive <laughs> consumption of pizza on those days. Now, let's, let's get into the topic of today. Um, and first question for you, Jeff. So it, it seems as though natural therapies and supplements are becoming more widely used. What are natural supplements and how do they differ from other widely known or used treatment options? Well, uh, natural supplements are today, you know, most uh, typically in the form of a capsule or a tablet or beverages, uh, and they generally contain targeted nutrients or other active substances that are mostly derived from plants and help to support body function while also potentially providing uh, relief of uh, symptoms, which is often the goal of many of the consumers. Now, this is a large difference compared to medications. Uh, I'm talking about pharmaceuticals here in that uh, while some pharmaceuticals originally originated from natural sources like aspirin, from willow bark, now predominantly these compounds are synthetically developed in a laboratory to be uh, single compound substances designed to provide uh, one action uh, powerfully, such as an in inhibition of a specific enzyme or blocking of a specific receptor. And th these are designed to provide a significant effect in a short period of time. So the action is designed with pharmaceuticals to be strong and fast. And the, obviously the more powerful the action, the greater the risk for side effects. And it's a delicate balance that has to be watched with the pharmaceuticals. Natural supplements differ from pharmaceutical treatment options and that they are predominantly food-based compounds. Oftentimes, in some of these preparations, they can be in higher concentrations and can be easily consumed in the diet. And therefore, you can see more rapid therapeutic benefit with these than from food by itself. And also, they differ from pharmaceutical products in that these natural supplements are multiple ingredients or multiple compounds together in the same product. Or in the case of like a natural plant extract, they're natural extracts, and so they have many different active substances within them, not just one single compound. One of the benefits of this approach, these multiple active compounds, is that it can often support the body in multiple body systems at the same time. So while a person targeting to improve their arthritis condition may take a supplement, they also may find that that same supplement may be a powerful antioxidant or anti-inflammatory and can also be supporting their cardiovascular health at the same time. So that's a difference between very targeted pharmaceuticals and more, more softer approach, more broad reaching benefits of natural supplements. And then also, of course, the safety profile tends to be better with the natural supplements, lower risk of side effects, that sort of thing. Thank you. And Hugh, obviously you've been the experience of a patient and the most recent past, can you tell us a little bit about your experience with supplements and what benefits or barriers you see are considered to taking them or incorporating them into your, into your typical treatment plan? 
Look, my, uh, over time, you know, the closest I've ever got to a supplement has been vitamins and, and for no particular reason except friends and family would suggest that for a cold, vitamin C was good or, you know, it, it was sort of really quite rudimentary and nothing um, terribly, uh, it was complicated, it wasn't for a condition, it was just more to supplement my diet. Uh, more recently now, uh, with the osteoarthritis issues that, I, that I've been having, I'm now taking curcumin for inflammation. So, so there's a specific issue that I have to address. And, and so it's not about supplementing a diet, it's about trying to counter some inflammation. And, and, and so my experience is that I, I take these, uh, now I've been taking them now for I think about six months. And not unlike all the others, it's very hard to sort of, be, because of exactly what Jeffrey said, if you know, if there's not, a, it's not like uh, Nurofen where you take it and you instant, you know, 30 minutes later, you've got pain relief. This thing over time is supposed to create lower inflammation. So it's very difficult for me to join the cause and the effect. And also we're doing, I'm doing exercises and, and um, trying to loosen weight. And so there's a whole range of things I'm doing for my condition. It's very difficult to attribute the, the effect and the cause and the, uh, all of that. So it's very complicated. I um, and I think that that for me has always been a barrier to these supplements because you just never know what's going to work, what's not going to work, and why it works, and whether that's it that worked. And I think you'll see my, my view on this is I rely on experts who do, I hope, research. I remember when you did talk to me about this particular supplement, David, you said there's a lot I've looked at and I've actually done some research on this, and there's there is evidence with this one. I had tried other recipes of curcumin. You weren't convinced and you didn't want to take a risk, so we went to this one. And honestly, that was the most valuable influencer in my decision to take this one and to keep going. Do I know whether it's making a difference today or not? I don't know. I don't know what it's like if, if I don't take it now. So, But my knee is certainly on a path of recovery and I don't want to have to undo that or risk that. So. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And uh, given, given what you've been through, I don't know that you necessarily want to repeat that again in the, in the near future. No, no, definitely not. Yeah. I think with, with tennis on the horizon, I'm pretty sure you prefer to get, get back to that soon. But you know, I think so, your experience of pain, uh, of one where you tried a, a number of different interventions over a period of time and not being overly confident, which is appropriate, about what's working and what's not, is probably the best way to approach this. Now, Jeff, there are a number of natural supplements out there. And obviously today we're talking about one in with a little bit more specificity, that of pycnogenol, which is the French maritime pine bark extract, Arbor How do they play a role in the management of joint conditions and what should patients pay attention to when thinking about buying or incorporating supplements into the management of their disease? I believe, well, in my experience in treating patients who had the joint conditions when I was practicing, that uh, it was a very personal choice, and we really had to meet the patient where they were at and, and be reminded of their treatment goals and what they wanted to do, uh, and then try and educate them about the research that is out there on these specific products and help hopefully get them to choose a product that is more evidence-based. And in that respect, uh, uh, the Arbor Vitae product that you uh, mentioned there, that does contain pycnogenol. I was very happy to see that they did conduct a clinical study to confirm the many anecdotal reports they had had from consumers. They found in the, it was a three-month study, so relatively short. It had uh, 60 individuals in the study. So in the realm of pharmaceutical research, this would be considered quite small but fairly typical for a natural supplement product. And over the course of the three months of the study, 
they found that there was a significant uh, reduction in pain, improvement in function, and improvement in quality of life. Thanks for that, Jeff. And I mean, I think in context, I think we'll come back to this a little bit later on in terms of how people digest the evidence, where they best take that evidence from. But I think in the first instance, just want to hear from Hugh. When you first think about taking those supplements, what kind of questions come to mind and who do you direct those questions to? And you may have already started answering this with the previous response, but if you've got any elaboration on that, that'd be great. It's not a lot of questions that come to mind with supplements because you sort of feel firstly they're quite safe. I think as Jeffrey said, they're based on foods, the side effects are minimal uh, or plants, right? So, so you, you think, well, there's, there's not a lot of downside. So it's, that eliminates a whole bunch of questions, although that's, uh, you know, you assume that. But I, I guess I would normally expect to be able to go to a GP. Right? I mean, before I get to a specialist, there's a whole bunch of avenues. So the GP, and it's there that I, I, I don't see a lot of the conversation happening in that practice room around these supplements, um, that there's no strong recommendation. I know I've asked them occasionally about some of them. It's sort of ambivalent, no massive support, it appears, from it. There's no anti, and there's sort of a bit of a roll-your-eyes attitude, particularly with my GPs. Now, I don't know if this is all GPs, but that's where I would normally go, is to, to sort of go somewhere, you know, relatively independent, look at a lot of conditions, and, and, and hopefully they are basing their um, recommendation or commentary on research that's again my assumption and and so it's a bit tricky that you know I, I don't feel like there's one place you go and you get a complete consistent message and so it's very hard and so when you ask a question you're not even sure why you're bothering to ask the question so so it's it's those things which i think if i speak on behalf of a consumer or a patient it's really hard you go to a pharmacy and you see some of them on the shelves and other pharmacies you don't see some of that stuff on the shelves and it's difficult to know where to go so I don't know where to start with my questioning on, on these supplements, which yeah, is why when you said what you did and, and you said it was research, I know how much research you do, David, so I, I immediately took that. With, it was the first time I thought, I have to do this. If it's been researched by you, I'll have to do it. It must be good. Yeah, and I think just, just to confirm for the listeners who are out there, I mean, obviously Hugh's taking one supplement. He's got better. We can't necessarily attribute his improvement to that and he's done that in the context of a range of other interventions that he's having now potentially some of his improvements attributable to the supplement but we definitely have done a number of other interventions at the same time so don't take what Hugh's saying as gospel at the you know this is exactly what you need to do I mean he's done a number of different things to help his arthritis now Jeff there's a plethora of guidelines out there for the management of osteoarthritis including you know the Osteoarthritis Research Society American College of Rheumatology in Australia the College of GPs also have guidelines historically and even the most recent ones that have come out from the American College of Rheumatology historically most of them haven't viewed supplements in a very favorable light and it's not because of the absence of trials i think the most sort of damning statement that usually comes from guidelines usually is about the quality of the research and usually about, you know, challenges with uh, randomization, control, adequate blinding, appropriate outcomes and follow-up. How best for, I guess, the community in general, but consumers in particular, to digest the information that comes from guidelines and incorporating that knowledge into the discussion that they might have with their healthcare professionals? It's a tricky one, and it's, uh, I don't want to get into politics, but there's politics in medicine as well, 
With the with overwhelming majority of the world in the allopathic pharmaceutical uh, training related to medicine and, and that approach to medicine compared to the alternative medicine world, so to speak. And the alternative medicine is huge, broad and deep. And so there's many things you can touch on. And, and only I'm not limiting that by any means just to natural supplements. But in the, the case of natural supplements, I think there are many challenges that are faced in trying to conduct uh, clinical trials with these compounds. Uh, oftentimes, they just don't fit the traditional pharmaceutical uh, research models. They could be very difficult to make an identical placebo for, for example. The Arbavite product is an ex excellent example of this. So therefore, it can be difficult to conduct what would be considered a gold standard pharmaceutical study according to those guidelines. These, again, are mainly food and plant-based compounds, so they take a much longer time to see a significant health benefit. And it may be on broader endpoints than one specific endpoint. And so these things, I think, have to be taken into consideration when developing trials for these uh, natural supplement products uh, versus the pharmaceutical products. And I think this is oftentimes where the data or the results, the evidence falls short in the eyes of the allopathic pharmaceutical world uh, related to the results that come out of these uh, supplement studies. I'm not going to underplay that some of these studies, just the design is poor and they don't properly randomize or blind and things like this. There's also huge issues with costs in that uh, pharmaceutical companies are, you know, these massive conglomerates that have seem to have limitless budgets when it comes to developing drugs. Natural supplement companies are not. And uh, uh, clinical research, as you will know, is extremely expensive. And the longer the study goes on, the, the, and the more subjects involved, the, the great exponentially this cost can go up. And so this is a real challenge that the industry faces in providing a really good quality research. And that's also one of the things that made me so uh, happy to join the company that I work for is that pycnogenol was originally developed as a pharmaceutical product. And because of that, it does have a good uh, amount of good quality, uh, randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trials that support its uh, health benefits and also its safety. Um, even just related to, to joint health, since that's what we're talking about, since, uh, since 2004, there have been six clinical studies, four of these are double-blind placebo-controlled clinical studies uh, investigating the benefits of pycnogenol in improving joint health. It's, it's a difficult situation at the, uh, that the natural supplement industry faces, and I agree, and I would love to see more independent research, bigger universities, countries, for example, uh, conducting much larger scale, long-term studies on many of these compounds to really see how they can pan out. But at this point, the current state of the industry and, and medicine where we are in the world today, it's difficult to get that type of research conducted with natural substances. Great explanation and really appreciate it, Jeff. Now, for the patient, how important do you think it is to them that the supplement they may or may not take is recommended in a guideline that physicians or other health professionals might use? Typically, it's not these compounds or these natural supplements are not included in, in treatment guidelines. Again, these are predominantly designed by uh, allopathic physicians with pharmaceutical training too. 
So I was very happy to see in your Australian guidelines that some alternative therapies, including pine bark extract, uh, remain included in the guideline, albeit with no official recommendation at this time. I was still happy to see it included. So I think it's very difficult for general patients and consumers to uh, read these guidelines and know what to do with, with all this information related to natural health supplements and the other evidence that they hear being reported about the potential benefit and the superior safety record of these compounds. So I think it's very, very challenging for them to make that decision. And uh, there's a real need in the medical industry for open-minded physicians and uh, pharmacists who can adequately explain the, the level of the evidence and help consumers to make uh, good choices that will guide them in getting the most cost benefit out of, uh, out of the dollar for that they are investing in trying to improve their own health actively. Hugh, how important do you think it is to consumers for the supplement they may or may not take to be included in guidelines? So I, I think that's where the supplement industry has a huge gap to fill. I, I, my sense is until that happens, until we know that there are rigorous processes, there are guidelines, and that certain you know, supplements get registered or whatever the process is to get to market, uh, my view is it's extremely important. I would never read it. But I think it's one of those where the uh, you sort of it's, you would like to know that the products that you've been recommended or that are available have been gone through. Like Jeff said, you can't go through exactly the same process as pharmaceuticals, but it'd be nice to know there's a lot more regulation. And you know, that whole was it Pan Pharmaceuticals ten years ago. I mean, I, you know, there's a whole range of people my age that still remember that stuff, and it's it's um, I think it affects the reputation and credibility of all the products in this segment if you like i think it's critical and it's got to be used more and spread more i think by experts so i don't know that i necessarily want to get into the the technicalities of it and jeffrey you correct me if i'm wrong but in general the supplements that we're talking about go through a different approval pathway that's usually as a food or as a product as opposed to as a drug um, and the the criteria and hurdles around drug approval are quite distinct and different. But I guess the main question that I was really asking you is that oftentimes clinicians, health professionals use guidelines as a means of determining what is or what is not appropriate for certain conditions. So for example, you know, there's certain drugs that you might use for lowering high blood pressure or for lowering cholesterol. In osteoarthritis, you know, the, the recommendations are, you know, to lose weight, uh, to do exercise, to use assistive devices and potentially other agents. So how important to you, Hugh, is it that this gets recommended so the health professionals see it prioritized as part of their armamentarium in the treatment of different diseases? Critical. I mean, it would be just so nice if these things are really valuable, then it would be, I, I feel that that's an important piece of the puzzle. Yeah. Okay. Yes, it is different, very different from the strict guidelines of drug registration. And, but I think you're seeing a change in the industry all over the world where it's becoming more uh, regulated and uh, they're requiring strict requirements for proof of safety in particularly. That's the number one issue with these. And in many countries now, they're moving to what they call a health claim system, 
where uh, it, you can market a product without a health claim, but if you really want to say anything and be able to market the product adequately, you have to provide a double-blind placebo-controlled trial in a healthy population showing significant clinical effect and in order to uh, have a health claim. And this is the movement in Japan, in Korea, in, in Malaysia. It's already there. Um, in other countries around Asia, Thailand, the same. So it's all moving in this direction, and uh, I think it will only continue. And this, I think, I don't know how this will impact treatment uh, or therapeutic guidelines on a national level, but I hope in the future that it can provide more support for that and more integration. Yeah, yeah. no, I think there's def definitely increased regulation and the approval processes around the getting to market are becoming much more challenging now. I'm going to just run through a few different questions and just short, pithy responses to some of these if we can. But Jeffrey, how much do you think consumers really know about natural supplements and what role they play in managing conditions? I think consumers predominantly get their information from their, their neighbors and their relatives, uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook, and that's the, the level. Uh, and then only when they have a condition and maybe if they don't feel overwhelmed with science, will they investigate further on a particular ingredient website or go to the research itself. Obviously, the best source is the research itself and well-prepared reviews, such as the one that you did yourself, David, and published in the British uh, Journal of Sports Medicine 2018. It was a very nice review there. Thanks for the vote of confidence. I wasn't, wasn't necessarily looking out for that one, but I appreciate it nonetheless. Hugh, in your opinion, what's the best way to educate consumers on supplementary products? There's a lot to that. I mean, I would think if the supplementary products are for a condition and the condition presents to a GP, then I think the GPs are a perfectly great place to do this if they believe in it. So I would have thought that was number one. I think before the GP, you've got your pharmacist would be another place that you would that I would go to. And then if really these uh, supplementary products are, you know, regulated and have been able to sort of deliver significant benefits, and, then why wouldn't either an industry or that company start to promote it on television using some research or, uh, you know, that, that, that more mass communication angle? But ultimately, you know, all these health claims get made and you don't have to have health benefits, as we've heard, for some things. And if it's a food, it's difficult. Uh, so I do think you do need that sort of influencer along the way. And so I think GPs and pharmacists, I've thought a lot about this since, you know, since I've thought, thought about this topic. And I, I do think it's a health professional because I'm not going to read the research. I'm not going to believe necessarily what a company's going to tell me. And so it has to be, you know, to get a broader appeal, I think GPs and pharmacists. And I think consistent with what he's saying and for everybody out there who's listening, I would strongly advocate that you have that conversation. And so that, you know, particularly if you're on other medication, that um, your GP or your pharmacist know whatever else it is that you are taking. Now, Jeffrey, there's lots and lots of supplements that are out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. How does one consumer out there choose from the massive list of different products? And obviously they might hear, snippets from one company or another, but how do they digest that properly? This is a real uh, challenge uh, for consumers, not just consumers, but for medical professionals as well, because they're faced with these questions. It really goes back to the same source. You have to get to the, you have to look at the research and not just the advertisers or press release, 
but the actual paper itself. You need to look at the quality of the research. You know, how was it independently done? Was it done at a major university? Were the results reported with minimal bias as much as possible? And who funded the study? These types of questions are important for determining the quality of the study and the quality of the information that comes out of a study. But I just want to really echo what you were saying before is that the decision about what supplement to, to take is pretty challenging. Um, and obviously, it, I think it's important to take into account the research evidence, the, you know, the cost, the accessibility of the product, amongst a, a range of other, uh, other issues. Hugh, I might cut to you if that's okay, what is the most important thing from a consumer's perspective to hear? I mean, obviously, there's a huge amount of treatment options that are out there. What information do you think it's helpful for a consumer to make decisions about what's most beneficial to them? For me, I, I think it's understanding the in my experience, and it's just the journey I've been on recently, there were... Yeah, there's no one silver bullet, so it's good to understand all of the options that are available and then to sort of create a package of uh, solutions that might all work together. And, and so not only do you have to understand what natural supplements are available, because I do believe in that, I'd much rather that than, you know, anti-inflammatories that might also affect your stomach or, you know, cause other side effects. It's nice to know the package and that they can all work together. And so, so those, those are the the critical things in the journey that I've been on that, that I got to know and that convinced me uh, it made sense to go together. But if, you know, if I just went to a pharmacist and bought a supplement that you didn't know about and you were treating me for something and, and then the GP was doing something else, really hard to not coordinate all that together. So it's, so for, for my journey, and it is for me, I, I think it's a whole understanding of all of the options um, and, and which ones you take when and maybe which package of options you that's really helpful. Jeff, what are some important key takeaways for people out there with osteoarthritis to help them to explore this area and, and manage their symptoms? Be open in, in conversation with your pharmacist and your uh, GP who is overseeing your care here. And if you're still early in the condition and aren't seeing someone, then you really, I would recommend number one, that you do consider that to get a good medical advice on the use of supplements. If, of course, you feel confident enough on your own to uh, review different uh, consumer websites and, uh, and ultimately get into the research to, of course, you want to know if it's, if it's been shown to be effective, but also very important to see that it's safe. It's often many of these patients have other conditions at the same time, and they may be on other medications. So it's also important to consider potential drug interactions as well there too. So there's a lot to unpack, and it can be a bit overwhelming as a consumer by themselves. There are some uh, resources that uh, provide good information on the specific products. Also good for uh, looking for drug interactions uh, that have been reported, uh, et cetera. But these are all important things to think about whenever you're thinking of taking any type of uh, supplement for whatever condition it may be. Yeah, and just to really echo what Jeff's saying there, what, one thing that we'll do is we'll include in the show notes a, a link to a blog. And the focus of the blog specifically is on helping you to digest healthcare information, particularly that from trials and research. And what I would encourage all of you to do is to go along, have a look at the blog. It goes through a series of steps. But, you know, when you're thinking potentially about 
taking a supplement, using an intervention, whatever it might be. It's not necessarily just focused on supplement, but it allows you to go through that stepwise in terms of identifying credible sources of information, sourcing unbiased, credible expert opinions, identifying potential conflicts of interest of those providing or helping interpret the data information, and also just giving you some steps as to making sense of the complex data and information that's often presented. Now, Hugh, you're welcome to say no in, in response to the next question, but did you gain any insights from today's discussion? And if so, what were they? Uh, no, a big insight for me was, of course, uh, supplements of food. And, and I could see that it's a different process for approvals that they need to go through to get to market. I'm encouraged to hear there are companies doing these, you know, uh, complicated, randomised control tests uh, with placebos. I think that's terrific, particularly with supplements. So I'll be looking out for that when I go next to the shelves and, and see if I can find some of this research. But I think it's been really informative for me. So thank you for letting me be a part of this. No, no, it's, a, it's absolutely our pleasure having you, having you come along and provide your perspective as well. Now, Jeffrey, just in closing, is there any one piece of advice, knowledge or wisdom that you'd like to give to people out there with osteoarthritis? Stay active. Uh, the importance of exercise and keeping moving. I mean, there's so much truth to the fact or to the, uh, the old idiom of uh, move it or lose it. And joint health is a big part of that. So uh, keeping active, keeping strong, uh, even as we age, is very important for the health of our joints. Yeah. And, you know, Hugh, it's really important that people out there with osteoarthritis hear from their peers about their experience. Is there any important message based particularly on the experience that you've had that you'd like to relay to people out there with osteoarthritis about how best to look after themselves? I think even though the conversation is with peers and I can share that, I I wish I knew now what I, uh, you know, 20 years ago. And uh, I think I would have looked after my knees differently. Uh, I would have done different things and uh, potentially avoided the situation I got into, although I understand that there is, you know, that's always you're going to get osteoarthritis at some point. I think you get to a point where, you know, I'm now committing to a different lifestyle. It it does make a difference. I'm trying to reverse it and I feel I'm actually making some steps forward with a range of different options that I'm putting in place. COVID has made it very hard to lose weight. So I'm hoping that's going to come. I get to do this a little bit more later. But also you lose mobility. And so, you know, doing exercises and losing mobility is a double whammy. So uh, I, I guess just take care. But I, I'm really encouraged with the progress I've made. And it's not, I'm not just saying that because you're here, David. I, I am. I'm almost pain-free. I'm jogging on the spot. I'm uh, able to do a whole lot of things without surgery. And that's been uh, what I've tried to avoid, and that's how I'm encouraged. But it's, it's, it certainly brings back the humanity aspect of, us, of, of uh, you know, what I thought I was invincible until this, uh, and I'm not. Oh, look, your words and your experience are so powerful. Um, and I think, you know, the, the fact that you've lived through this experience uh, pretty recently and you're coming through the other side and, and doing so incredibly well is so important. Now, Jeffrey, it's so valuable to have your perspective and Hugh, yours as well really appreciate your time, your insights, and I guess the different perspectives both of you bring to what's a very complex, challenging decision that many patients face in terms of trying to decide whether they take a supplement or not. I guess my my final pieces of advice before just thanking Jeffrey and Hugh is really just to say, make sure you, you make an informed choice. Be as open and honest with the healthcare professionals that are involved in your care as you can be. And, you know, oftentimes when it comes to the use of these supplements, 
a short-term trial, you know, four to six weeks uh, is not a bad thing as long as it doesn't cause you uh, any interactions or, or any side effects. So I'm going to leave it there. Thank you so much to, to Jeff and Hugh. Try to digest some of the information. We're going to have a lot of links to various credible sources in the, in the show notes that hopefully will allow you to unpack this complicated area even further. That is all for this episode of Joint Action. If you like what you hear and want to support us, please rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Alternatively, visit the website www.jointaction.info to post a question, donate to our research, or send us some feedback. Between now and next time, please do take care of yourself, stay strong, and stay active. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to Joint Action with David Hunter. If you like our show and want to know more, check out www.jointaction.info. If you have any questions, you can email us at hello at jointaction.info and follow us on Twitter at jointactionorg. This podcast was hosted by David Hunter, edited by Vicky Duong, music produced by Jordan Hunter. The information posted on this podcast is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. Anyone seeking medical advice should consult a health professional. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.